um thanks for coming on tim i'll just do you an introduction tim and then we'll, we'll sure. get into the, sure. the meet so, uh, tim tim corby is an american political analyst and geopolitics uh, commentator he's living in russia he uh, previously hosted a morning radio show um for five years he wrote he he writes for uh, Strategic Culture, and in his spare time, he plays pro football with Moscow Spartan. Um, and he has his own YouTube and Telegram channel, and um, I linked actually Telegram channel in the, in the on the channel on the main channel there. Welcome, Tim, to Off Grid Ireland. Thanks for coming. Thank on. you very much, and I have a strong feeling not many people want to hear a lot about American football. So let me tell you one thing, real quick: November twentieth from Sapsan Arena, the Russian Super Bowl is taking place. Uh, so maybe I can uh, drop you guys a link later if any of you are interested. You can watch uh, Russia's championship match, where I will be the uh, official English language voice because my old butt uh, didn't make the starting lineup. So I'll be in the commentator's box. But anyways. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Definitely um, uh, send us in the link and we'll share it around. All um, right. Good stuff, good stuff. So um, just tell us a bit about yourself. Um, how long are you living in Russia? Uh, um, and uh, Well, I've been living uh, in Russia since the end of 2006, which is over 15 years. Uh, before that, I was a U.S. Peace Corps volunteer in Kazakhstan for two years. Uh, Kazakhstan is a lot like Russia in a lot of ways, very, very similar and in fact, the northern half of Kazakhstan still primarily speaks Russian. Um, so yes, I've been here a long time. In fact, my pretty much my entire adult life, uh, the especially uh, the mature part of my adult life. Uh, and uh, yeah, I work overall in the media and in uh, political analysis, as you mentioned in the uh, intro. Uh, and uh, I've got kids and all that. And I uh, also do a lot of um, travel-related uh, videos um as well that's kind of my main gig uh, that uh pays the bills but uh yeah good stuff good stuff um just on current i suppose it's been that i think most people are interested in what's going on with the, the ukraine crisis um we've a lot we've got like fifty thousand have come here like you know the, our, our government is just i, I think i don't know you can probably can imagine you've probably seen some of the reports the irish government now wouldn't be um they're on the they're on the naughty list but um that's the, it's the propaganda you know well uh it kind, of, it kind of depends so you're talking about you know um there's the the migration factor and well obviously uh you know was this war avoidable uh yes and um well when nato uh and uh i should say um the western powers and all that well they decided to finance and build up over many years, the necessary um, ideological background to create the Maidan revolution, which they did, and they succeeded. Well, they should have expect if they were worried about migrants, they should have expected some blowback because it became pretty evident that after the Maidan, that something was going to have to happen at some point. And well, uh, here we are. But on the other hand, uh, to be honest, uh, when you've uh, it's, there's someone living uh, in the Russian speaking world, so. We're going beyond uh, just Russia. Then again, Ukraine has traditionally been a part of Russia, so that's another sort of point. But anyways, the territory of the former Soviet Union, I don't know. So many people have told me all, the, all over these years um, that I'm nuts for living in Russia and uh, that they would happily trade places with me to uh, be in America. So to be honest, maybe they're all living the Western dream that all these people have been uh, telling me about for all these years. So who knows? Uh, do they seem happy to you? 
No, no, no. You see, I, I think it, the, it's the, our, our government, I think, is beholden, as you probably know, to, to Europe and to whatever, maybe even America's coattails. Mm. And the, the Irish people are just, they, they got the, you know, they all have the flag up, the Ukrainian flag, and, it, you know, it put the change their social media profile to the little circles you know i support ukraine it was like it was like the the covid kind of psyop or not psyop but the campaign behind that it, it just swept yeah. through like you know i i support ukraine and it could have easily been i support russia it was just the, the the decision from the top the people just go with the wind i think in most of the west yeah um this is kind of one of those things where um i'm not the most well-read person in the world but i can tell you that there's this guy called nietzsche uh, or Nietzsche, I forget how to really pronounce it uh, the uh, Germanic way, uh, as it should be. And uh, there's some good videos online where they describe this. But he kind of, uh, I think he said there were four types of people and two groups. So like two by two is four. And anyways, unfortunately, this term, uh, you know, got uh, manipulated by a very famous group of very, very bad people. Uh, so sort of the uh, Ubermenschen and the Untermenschen, he sort of divided people in the groups. But what he was referring to uh, wasn't some sort of goofy genetic stuff, but it was the uh, Ubermenschen was sort of the type of people who would be um, uh, trying to live their destiny. And the Untermenschen would be the kind of um, people who are sort of nothings trying to drag them down, uh, very jealous uh, forever trying to, uh, you know, lie their way into seeming like that they're successful or that they have value. <laughs> In a lot of ways, I've watched that video about Nietzsche like three or four times, and I think that that's really this this scenario with like this Ukraine thing. It's just sort of an excuse for sort of these sort of hateful Untermenschen type people uh, to feel like they're accomplishing something. Like they changed their icon on Facebook. They're the ones who are on the good side of morality. And I think that in a lot of ways, that big group of people exists in every society and they are quite dumb and they are quite malleable, uh, I guess would be the proper way to look at it. So you can't be too angry about it because whatever the media pushes, I think that kind of person's just going to go for it. Uh, you know, to an extent, you know, there are definitely some things the media's tried that have failed, but uh, this whole Ukraine thing, yeah, a lot of people in the West bought that hook, line, and sinker. There's also the factor of tribalism, and uh, tribalism is the most understated factor in all politics. Uh, like, I think maybe to an extent with the rise of what they call the manosphere or red pill material, we're sort of seeing the dawn of people uh, acknowledging uh, how gender and sex can play a role in actually in politics and the way that human society works for like the first time ever. You'd, you'd think we'd have uh, discovered this before, but it seems to be a sort of recent awakening. But the awakening that hasn't happened at all yet is about tribalism, and human beings are very tribal. Uh, I'm sure for you guys over there, you know, we have our American football. I don't know, but I'm sure when we get our uh, Gaelic football going, uh, one team's wearing yellow, the other team is wearing red, and that's all that it takes for after the match to get in the fist fight. We can see elements of tribalism in, in school as cliques form with nations, uh, within religions. Uh, it's a, We have a lot of tribes that make up all of us, okay? And uh, this tribalism factor probably came into play with the Ukrainian crisis uh, because uh, these, again, this uh, mass of uh, people who aren't very... Uh, let's put it this way. Savvy. Uh, for them, there's a certain glee in this tribalism, a certain, um, I don't know, 
um, uh, masturbatory uh, satisfaction that they can get from from feeling that you know the West is under attack and the Ukrainians because they're on our side, they're part of our team and they want to be with us, so they're the good guys. And the other side is all the bad guys. Um, if we look back at history, there's a lot of people who make things look very black and white, uh, and this this tribalism and this inherent desire to sort of break into these groups and fight each other um is a uh, very very powerful with us human beings and uh i think that that's also a perfect example of that so i think that i have sort of two uh theories as to why that happened that i just mentioned actually on this i actually i don't know if i watched one of your uh your podcasts there on youtube um and it's quite fascinating actually i shared it on the channel much appreciated quite... sharing sharing is caring my friend sharing is caring but it's the one that everyone was struggling with and it was a, it's a very good podcast um that's the you know the zelensky he's jewish basically and you know we all seen these Az azov brigades and like they, they're they're not just like they're not just and i think you said it in the podcast they're not a these aren't neo nazis like they're not neo anything like they're the real they're the real life descended from actual nazis and uh it was interesting to interplay because it does boggle people's minds that it's because of who, who Zelensky is and the fact then that he could be, you know, commanding these real Nazis. Do you know what I mean? So it was interesting. Can you tell us stuff about that? Well, that's a, that's always a very touchy um, sort of subject there. But well, one of the reasons why this all, I, I should say, succeeded uh, from the standpoint of Certain people in Washington who want to see Russia suffer or be uh, castrated in some ways, for them, Ukraine was a success, whereas all these efforts to create some sort of similar situation in Kazakhstan or Moldova or the Baltic states or wherever um, have been vastly less successful is because in Ukraine they did have this history of the uh, Ukrainian, what was it, UPA, what would that be in English? Oh my God. I don't remember. But anyways, the Ukrainians who fought for the Nazis, uh, they have that legacy going back, especially to the their overall hero, Mr. Bandera. Uh, and that legacy was something real, and because it was something real and tangible, I think that, that uh, they were able to sort of hook into that. Whereas, yeah, there's been, uh, especially recently, uh, some uh, anti-Russian uh, acts of uh, uh, blatant racism and uh, what I guess what people would call hate crimes, uh, in Kazakhstan, that certainly happened. That's happened in Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan and basically uh, everywhere. But they sort of remain like one-off things. that They haven't been able to turn into like a political movement because uh, only Ukraine, uh, Western Ukraine, uh, had that uh, particular uh, legacy. Uh, now about um, uh, Zelensky himself. Well, it's one of the things where we have to sort of um, uh, look at things about the way that, you know, um, people behave and what their ideology uh, is based on. So if we go back to uh, the ideology of uh, fascism, uh, they're essentially saying that uh, in their system, there is this one, like the real, the subject, that's the proper term, the subject of their system is a particular race or ethnicity, right? Um, uh, in the world, uh, in the fantasy universe of Warhammer 40,000, it's considered uh, a techno-fascist empire of the future uh, because humanity basically fights against all aliens and uh, the more that people mutate and become less human, uh, they're killed off. 
um, as are aliens. Uh, so that, that would be a good fantasy example of uh, someone having a very fascistic attitude that we're all human. Anything that's uh, not human or less human uh, needs to be destroyed or is garbage or otherwise. So that's a fantasy example. And we also the real life example, which was uh, in uh, Nazi Germany, right, where they put the Germans up first and then uh, Jews and Slavs and gypsies and so on and so forth uh, were part of the uh, undesirable group. Uh, you'll also note that uh, in every political system of a uh, modern political system, so with fascism, the enemy is uh, these different racial or ethnic groups that are not part of the subject group. Uh, with communism, it's anyone who is not part of the working class, uh, and they're free to be killed. Uh, and with liberalism, it's essentially anyone who's not liberal. So especially the old monarchs of Europe were free to be killed, like in the French Revolution. So uh, all of us are guilty of some extremism, regardless of our uh, political belief system. But anyways, back to fascism. So you'll see that Zionism uh, as an ideology very much lines up uh, with with this whole fascist uh, concept because there is a certain particular uh, religious or ethnic group where everyone want to consider them, and they are the good people. They are the people who are the subject of the system, and everyone who is not, especially on the territory of Israel or the greater Israel, is not. Um, so uh, basically um, that sort of methodology and way of thinking uh, is not <laughs> too far away uh, or too different, or maybe even different at all from the way that someone with a uh, outspoken Zionist worldview has. So perhaps that could um, also uh, explain it. Um, there's also the factor where uh, in politics you'll see there's a certain ad a weird attitude of we'll get them later. Now, what is we'll get them later? That is how very often groups like ISIS, who are hardcore Muslims, will sometimes work for the interests of like u.s foreign um policy and you wonder but why they're these conservative muslims look at the west because they want power now and if the u.s is going to help them get to power that's awesome we'll deal with them later <laughs> we'll get them later first thing is to get their uh, islamic state going and then they can worry about it um and i think that that might be part of the where they get all of these slavic young men to serve um, <laughs> uh, non-Slavic masters. I think that might be sort of part of it, why all these groups are into it. Uh, there's also a question of funding. You know, some were, people are just in it for the cash. Were those groups, would you think, they were cultivated? Like, were they, like, they, for I, well, for my, and I think you said this in your thing, that they have been, it's a, it's a brand of nationalism that they are after been, been um, propagated with that's anti-Russian. And yeah. they've, they've made some kind of, agreement or ceasefire with the zionists in some way make shape or form i don't know i think that's what i got from what you said and then yeah. the, and that most of the oligarchs in ukraine that were that are zionists and they were uh nearly they nearly they like they made their move after the coup in in 2014 like that, yeah. i think that's been what yeah yeah what's going on you know yeah, well, it's it's kind of hard to really understand what's going on with them. You should you guys should take a listen to my interview with a man. He's codename Afanasi, where he really discussed uh, how he believes that there is a uh, sort of greater conspiracy that they, because of the uh, uh, Khazar or in Russian Khazar uh, people who used to live in Ukraine, who were uh, had a, a, a sort of um, Jewish elite uh, back, and this is in like you know back before almost well, it wouldn't be back before writing for them because they had writing. Well, back before really anything in Ukraine was anything um, in ancient times, you know, like over a thousand years ago, 
uh, that there's some sort of uh, desire within his opinion. There's some sort of desire within Ukrainian uh, um, sort of um, elite that is Zionist to sort of recreate that because essentially anywhere that they've been, it means that God gave that land to them or something or so or, or so on. Um, I think also we can't forget that in a lot of ways the Ukrainian elite found is first off is corrupt and inept, but secondly they found themselves between a real rock and a hard place because uh, one thing that uh, Brzezinski was very good at pointing out in his books is that Russia without Ukraine is not nearly as strong, uh, and that Ukraine could be a real sort of um, pivot point to punish the Russians. So I think in a lot of ways it wasn't so much that these oligarchs one woke up one day and they were like, yeah, it's Zionism time, we'll get those uh, goy or whatever. Uh, it was uh, more that the since 1991, the West, especially you know, like Washington and all that, have been really putting a lot of push and a lot of effort into transforming Ukraine. And um, I think those oligarchs kind of smelled the way uh, uh, um, the wind was blowing, or they felt the way the the wind was blowing you know um i've heard the, there's a, a term called like uh, wind sock politicians like whichever way the wind blows that's the way the wind sock faces uh and that's kind of, i think that might be actually a very uh sort of large part of it or it could have worked out to be sort of a combination of the two or whatever um but uh long story me you know the only thing i can tell you is that uh many of the ukrainian oligarchs Whereas in uh, Dmitry Medvedev's presidency, they banned all mercenary groups in Russia, except for the Wagner group for whatever reason, but that occurred later. Um, you know, <laughs> while Russia got rid of all mercenaries and private armies uh, in Ukraine, they were just being born. And uh, everyone who was everyone had their own private army uh, filled with people who had, again, traced their roots and heritage back to this Bandiarite, um neo-Nazi sort of... Um, uh, legacy there but we also have to remember that within that uh group of extremists there are plenty of people who are not even ukrainian there are plenty of georgians there are jews apparently uh there are uh, various uh, foreigners of all different types and shapes and colors uh so on and so forth we have to remember that right now in our uh sort of battle for the future it, world war three sort of started unfortunately but in our soft World War III, uh, everyone is sort of uh, being forced to pick a side. Uh, and so a lot of people, like I mentioned, the Georgians, it doesn't mean that everyone in Georgia is on uh, the Ukrainian side, but the ones who really want Abkhazia and South Ossetia back sure are, you see. So, yeah, it's a complex puzzle. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it, it um, seems to be escalating and there's no no kind of talk of peace, and I seen it at the weekend. It was um, it was the the New York Times or someone released a piece, and it's like, oh, we we should um pretend that uh, we we're looking for peace. Did you see that? And then they they all they're all in units and going on like there's lenses coming out. Like, well, I am prepared for negotiations, but it's like, it's it's just ridiculous what's going on. Like, the, well, yeah, and I mean, um, this uh, and this is sort of like. Yeah, and sort of trying to vie for peace now. I mean, it's like, come on. Um, I mean, there was, again, there have been so many opportunities. We have to remember that at the beginning of January, for anyone who's watched my channel, forgive me for repeating myself. I've mentioned this a lot of times, but it's an important point that the Russians sort of sent uh, Washington this sort of overall package of how they thought that they could sort of redraw European security. This was uh, like January 1st uh, of this year, so 2022. And by the end, uh, by January 10th, I believe, Washington rejected 
every one of their points, just a complete universal rejection of their plans of how they could sort of, where they could put NATO, where everyone could put missiles, you know, and how we could sort of live in peace. And they rejected all of it. And after that point where it's like, okay, so you're not going to acknowledge. And they sort of also underlined basically that like, look, you punk bitches, there's a there's a global hegemon and you ain't it, motherfucker. That's kind of the attitude that they really sent. And it was like, okay. So in a lot of ways, although it might sound cute, that like, okay, maybe we could have negotiations. Other people on the Russian side have to understand that there's plenty of time for negotiations. <laughs> they, in fact, wanted to open a dialogue about how to do European security before this war started. And NATO, and the problem is, they're not really sure who pushed for it, whether it be the Biden clan, whether it be uh, the, 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 the Pentagon, whether it be some sort of more NATO or whoever. Uh, they're really they opened the dialogue before this happened, and now there is sort of, especially from the Russian standpoint, there's really nothing to negotiate unless Washington. Especially, this is the other thing: if Washington wanted to end the war now, okay, what would they need to do? They would have to essentially send the Russians pretty much the signal of, okay, we're going to pull out of all the territory where most of the people consider themselves to be ethnic Russians. We are going to make U uh, Ukraine a uh, eternally um, neutral state, because basically that's what the Russians want. So Ukraine is eternally neutral. They cannot have any NATO forces or NATO goodies on their territory, and they sacrifice legally and forever and for all time all the regions that are um, pro-Russian. Or they could do some sort of uh, very... Hotly contested referendum, I'll put it that way. Um, I don't think that process would go very well, but something like that. That's what the Russians want. And anything below that, they're not going to accept. It's too late. Uh, and you have to also remember that Russia kind of didn't really want to fight this war. So I think that um, they probably would have taken a lot less. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the real irony of this is, say the West would have, in 2014 before the Maidan, say the Maidan wouldn't have happened. Well, Yanukovych wasn't popular. The United States has fantastic PR. To be honest, they could have got someone like a Poroshenko or a Yatsenyuk or even, who knows, a Zelensky. Well, Zelensky took time to prep. But they could have got someone of that ilk into power just with time, if they could have just waited. Because, yeah, maybe Yanukovych was going to make some deals about joining the Eurasian Union or something, uh, economic union, blah, 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 blah. All that can be undone. <laughs> with enough all that they and they would have been able to keep all of Ukraine, Ukraine, including Crimea. Then comes you know the 2014, so they lose because they refuse to wait. They lose the Crimea. Okay, then what do they do? Uh, rather than just sort of like take Ukraine, sit there, maybe do their biolab thing, maybe get some uh, nice uh, missiles in the right places, do everything real quiet. No, they have to go and violently put down uprisings in the East, and they have to do the whole Nazi thing and kill local people and torture everyone and try to do something like how the uh, uh, Zionists like to clear out uh, territory of the Palestinians, right? So they had to do that. And because of that, they've already lost four more states. And they keep fucking going. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's unbelievable. If they would have done nothing, nothing would have yielded the best result. It's absolutely self-destructive.
self-destructive and, it's, yeah. and i think that like it's the americans are prepared to fight to the last ukrainian like because it seems this will be over without western support and there's no doubt about that like it's, it's been well, that, by the west that my friend that seems to be the case um you know uh and about the last ukrainian one thing that we also have to kind of note is uh, you know, it's hard to really believe a lot of numbers, and I, anytime you hear a number, be it from a Russian source, be it from a supposedly neutral source, be it from a mainstream media source, we always have to be careful about numbers, but it kind of almost looks like the Ukrainian army uh, might be running out of people with Ukrainian citizenship. Uh, I think that the amount of foreign mercenaries who actually really aren't mercenaries is growing every day, uh, so it's kind of a question of who exactly is fighting over there, you know, so that's, that's something else. Yeah, we had um, we had an Irish uh, guy uh, killed over there. He's 20, 24 years of age or something. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous. Well, I, I, I see. I it reminds me of what went on in Syria. These people are radicalized. These are being radicalized by our own uh, state media yeah. and our own, you know, mainstream media. Like, what's a twenty-four-year-old Irish dude doing over there getting killed? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's yeah. like a it's like what went on in Syria. A, a jihad. Well, yeah. Well, the question is: Is what was he? Did he go there for ideological reasons, or was he one of those weird people who want to go on a human safari? Because one thing we have to acknowledge: there's a lot of things we can't live in a fantasy world that there are people who are, um, I don't know, is sociopathic the right term? Basically, there are people out there who it's their dream to go around and murder people, but they're too cowardly or they don't want to take the risk. And so, most of the initial mercenaries from the West who went into Ukraine were one of the guys that they were going to go be able to go there and just kill whoever they want. That's what the real attractive thing was: the ability to murder civilians and these hapless Russian soldiers and have that sort of Call of Duty thing. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely a certain uh, sick side to this that we can't remember, but it's a sick side that exists in uh, every society on Earth. So, it's something to be aware of. There's uh, in Ireland, I don't know uh, how many people you got in Ireland overall. How many millions? Um, five, I think, nearly six with the north. Well, then I bet it'd be pretty easy to find maybe five or ten thousand people who'd love to just go out and just kill people just for fun. <laughs> so I mean, you could you know, all it takes is like one tenth of one percent, you know, uh, and uh, that's the people went there. But we have to remember the initial mercenaries who went to Ireland or not Ireland to Ukraine. They uh, were given sort of like. Te, te, magazines with 10 rounds in them and like no guns and told to go to the front and now all of a sudden late in the war when ukraine's running out of stuff all the mercenaries are very well equipped it's almost as if they're not mercenaries but nato's standing army in different uniforms it's not a fact but it's kind of feels like it might be the truth no, no doubt like uh, the russians like I think I'd say both sides have have taken a lot of casualties. I don't know it. I've just watched some of the Russian channels here on this and that. Like it, it's carnage what's going on. Like it is heartbreaking for for all involved. You know what I mean? It's a pity, um, but it's it, it's definitely been prolonged by what I think is the, the NATO funded and also NATO intelligence because they're probably you know what I mean. They're giving them. They're you know I think Russia's up against NATO really in in Ukraine. You know, it's, it's, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, huh. at this this point, we uh, kind of don't know what's going on, but uh, uh, all we can hope is that um, something will change soon. Um, 
you know, the uh, the sort of Scott Ritter or Colonel McGregor, who I share a lot of their materials, they're kind of more convinced that once the ground gets nice and hard, the Russians might make a move. I'm not even sure. Uh, I think that so far this war has gone real well for, for Russia by just sitting and shooting. I'm not sure if they're going to advance. Um, but I, and again, uh, I'm not a military strategist, strategist uh, especially for uh, modern warfare. You know, if we had uh, Napoleonic miniatures on a, on a table, perhaps I could be more of assistance. Uh, but that's not the case. So, do you know anything about the bio labs? Um, I think I've seen. Was there was it confirmed like evidence found that they were working on like? Oh well, here I'm going to have to. Then this one, this is a big one. Hold on, I'm going to have to go to my channel here, and we're going to have to uh, find. Uh, so uh, hold on, Tim. Tim Kirby Bio Labs, because uh, that is I have an, a whole interview with a gentleman and i will send that to uh, your pr friend there with a gentleman and she can see share that with the group uh who uh is a guy i've known for a long time and basically he started to put together this is before the biolab thing was exposed okay this was be before you've ever heard about it he goes up to me and he's like you know i see you're kind of doing this this like whole like channel on youtube and rumble and all that dude i got some information for you and he sort of laid out this thing where he's like yeah they're creating these diseases there's this biolab stuff and i was like oh man how about you show me the evidence for it and this guy laid out to me uh and he didn't look to be the photoshop god a lot of information a lot of receipts a lot of documents a lot of uh pen basically the pentagon funding uh i think it was like 15 or so biolabs all across the territory of ukraine and uh t you know because ukraine is an extremely impoverished country not to say that russia is the richest place this isn't this isn't a bash on Ukraine because, again, Ukraine historically has been a part of Russia. So that would be like as an American bashing on, uh, you know, Texas and Tennessee and, uh, I don't know, Maine as being the bad guys or something, you know, um, three random states very far separated, you know. So this isn't to say that, it, that the, the Ukrainians are bad because they're essentially us. But uh, there's a lot of corruption there and there's a lot of poverty. Okay. And so they were apparently paying impoverished people to experiment on them which is absolute evil that is satanic that is like the kind of stuff that happens in the uh, vault experiments of uh the fallout video game series uh and anyways so he in this interview you guys can watch later sort of lays it out he's one of the first people who exposed it and he con contacted me because he knows me so uh will i be able to do so much <laughs> uh super ultra revealing investigative work in the future probably not but who knows uh, but that's a interview that i'm particularly proud of because literally it is the first place anyone heard of the biolab thing uh so i'm happy to be still breathing i'm surprised i didn't get shot for that one yeah yeah i'd say you're not very popular old lady at home somehow or other I no not a lot I, I, <laughs> patrick lancaster as well i do i follow some of his stuff and the same it's it, the, the people calling for him to be like like struck from the air on Twitter, like you know, right. it's it's ridiculous. Uh, I don't know, man. Like um, all I can tell you is, I still went to a high school in a poor black neighborhood in the United States. We didn't have money; all the books were beat up and all that. But you know what? Well, I guess maybe one difference is I was sort of in the advanced placement class for a lot of the history-related stuff. But whatever, all this stuff about the Constitution—they explained it to us. All these concepts about, like you know. 
having some tolerance for other people's positions and that we should hear each other out and, you know, about uh, discussion and the whole, you know, um, I may not agree with what you say, but I'll defend to your, to the death, your right to say it. All that shit they told us, man. Uh, this, the, 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 the mentality that created the enlightenment and all these values, we got it in school and yet no one believes in it or understands it. It's amazing. Uh, I don't know. Maybe other schools were different. <laughs> So it's 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 infinitely frustrating how people can uh, uh, claim that they're on some sort of fight for freedom and justice when they just want to shut people down rather than um, providing a nice counter argument or saying you're wrong, you know. So um, I know some people are also continuing research on that. If you look up John Mark Dugan, um, he uh, told me there's some new revelations in the BioLab uh, network story, but. Uh, uh, I think he's probably already exposed those, but uh, he can tell you because they're his revelations, mm -hmm. not mine. The working on genetic, like genetic diseases that that would affect slabs. I think I don't know. Like that's you know it's scary stuff. Like, oh yeah. Oh and yeah. And would it also and also remember these people do not give a shit about the United States. Uh, that would have killed millions of Americans as well. Uh, and also the same thing in China, same biolab network, and that's why the Chinese. How uh, as soon as they sort of figured that out with COVID, their tune changed. That was when the real sort of, I think, alliance with Russia really became um, finalized, uh, that they're going to work together because the Chinese Communist Party is angry. They are, they are, uh, they are seeing red in many ways. Uh, I see that the, the iPhone uh, delivery has been delayed. They've locked down the the Foxconn or something, the factory there. And I, in the back of my mind, I know, look, it could be genuinely there's an outbreak, but in the back of my mind, I'm wondering are China now beginning to, you know, do little disruptions like, like that. You know what I mean? And now, now, now the iPhones are delayed because there's, there's stuff in the background going on over uh, semiconductors in Taiwan and there's all sorts of things going on over there as well. And the American well, we have to say, if, if it is true, because again, uh, just because I feel something's true doesn't make it true. If it is true that they did the biolab thing to try to exterminate the Chinese or at least kill enough of them to break their society or create some sort of regime change, well, then we can expect they're going to do some stuff that's kind of uh, shady or <laughs> vengeful in return. So is it possible that the, this iPhone thing is related to a vengeance? Maybe. Uh, maybe it could just be a deficit of parts. Um I really don't know, man. You might have to talk to someone who's a real expert on manufacturing, but uh, uh, that is not me. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, but back to Russia, like, and the the energy, the energy situation, and the the Nord Stream, and all of that. Like, is is the how is there much inflation in Russia at the moment? Like in Ireland now, in places like our energy is going through the roof, and the cost of living, price of food, and everything is. Uh, no, the inflation of the actual ruble. Well, Russia did ex did experience um, inflation at the start of the war. Uh, I think it sort of leveled off to maybe like a 10% inflation. It's going to wind up being that. But you have to remember, when you compare like a chart of like currencies in 2022, the ruble is like the strongest because everywhere else sank. Uh, the dollar sort of recovered now that Europe has been crippled and Europe is going to be dependent on uh, gas and stuff from fracking within the United States and all those other goodies. So uh, in a lot of ways, the United States, the dollar's gotten a little bit, at least temporarily stronger uh, due to Europe's submission. Um, 
so I, I don't know. I can tell you one thing that is a parent of two, and that's not that many kids. Uh, yeah, it definitely hurts the pocket. Like, food's gotten more expensive. The food has definitely, definitely gotten more expensive. That's the one thing that hurts me. But the one thing that might even sort of shock your viewers is uh, th things I forget, like how ch uh, cheap cell phone service is. So, like, I'm on a plan that is, um, I don't know, what is it, like, 17, 18, 20, let's just say US dollars, um, like, you know, or 20 euros or something. And I, it's four phones and, uh, cable TV, which we don't use, uh, and, uh, the, uh, the, the internet, like the home internet for 20 bucks a month for phones, unlimited. Um, electricity costs like nothing. You know, my, like, uh, bill here for utilities is, uh, let's see, uh, let's see what I pay. What was it like? Let's say maybe thousand rubles to dollars. Uh, a little less than a hundred bucks a month on all utilities for the rental apartment in Moscow, uh, in Chekhov, especially during the summer uh, for electricity and all that. When I'm with the kids and they're living there, I mean, we're literally paying like thirty dollars, the thirty, thirty, fifty dollars for electricity and all that. So yeah, thing things like that are real cheap here, yeah, and which is nice. Because salaries in Russia suck, unfortunately. But if you what's can bring money like, from the um, West, life's good. What's it, what's it like to integrate over there? Like, is it, are, you know, the way, are, as, a, as a foreign, in a foreign land, like, are they welcoming, like, when you first arrive, or is it take a bit of adjustment? Well, here's the problem. Uh, my last name is, is very misleading because all my ancestors came from Eastern Europe. So I kind of look like people do here, or at least the majority of people. So as long as my mouth is shut, um, uh, no one really knows where I'm from. Um, uh, integrating. You're also one of the problems with that too, is I'm kind of a weirdo loner. Um, people on the internet like to create fancy terms for that, like Sigma male. <laughs> but have to be honest, I'm just kind of a weirdo who lives in the woods, man. So, uh, yeah, I guess maybe people in Russia are a little bit easier to deal with on some sort of interpersonal relationship. Um, but like, I don't know, uh, if you're, if you're someone who your life revolves around a lot of human contact and you're very extroverted and you really want to have like close friends, like the kind of friends that would, uh, you know, go to your funeral when you're an old man or something, uh, that's just not the person I am, you know? So it kind of doesn't really, uh, apply to me, uh, very much. Uh, but the main challenge you really face is learning the language. Because if you don't speak Russian well, then you're in one category. If you speak Russian very well, you're really in a different category and you live in a completely different reality. Because as soon as I started to speak Russian like well, then all of a sudden you're a little bit more invited into the the, the group. Although you'll always be a foreign person. <laughs> that's fair that's fair i suppose that <laughs> that's oh, like, i tell you dude, dude, i don't i don't like to, to to mislead people because the problem is like i do meet a lot of people who want to move to russia who are these like super social like guys you know they're on their tinder they want to date like a new girl every day and they just want to meet people and they want to go to concerts and i'm like and, and i just want to be left the hell alone uh, i want to be in the woods with my thoughts and my beer, and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, after all these years of especially working in the media and having to deal with a lot of people, to be honest, uh, I like dealing with concrete, wood, steel, things that you can 
turn in the stuff that don't talk back when they don't have feelings. You know what I mean? So I get, I'm a little bit uh, overwhelmed uh, by communication. So I'm, 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 I'm different that way. It sounds like you, you're living, you're living well over there. Sounds like you're living the dream, living up. That's well, yeah. what you want to be out, away from civilization. Well, I, and <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I see you're called Off Grid Ireland, and I've actually, unfortunately, I don't remember the names of the channels, but I've seen that uh, apparently in Ireland, you guys have. Well, from the way they portray it on YouTube, it would seem that possibly you guys have this trend where a lot of people or certain people are buying like old uh, sort of farmhouses in Ireland that are, you know, very small in terms of square footage or met meterage. Is meterage a word? Uh, I don't know. Square meterage, it's a word now. Uh, and uh, like, because uh, they're made of like stone and stuff, mostly stone and mortar, and they're like fixing them up and kind of like living uh, by themselves, you know, far away from the city. Is that, is that true? Is that, is, is that like a thing? Or is that what off-grid Ireland is? Um, well, we set up, we kind of have that in mind there. Yeah. We, do, we, we don't share as much of that kind of stuff anymore, but that is what originally, because we set it up in the beginning of um, the pandemic and everything, and it was kind of like, you know, it was like I think a lot of people were wanting to get back to homestead, and, and uh, even now we kind of recommend everyone to be prepared and, you know, have food, uh, you know, a, a few months worth yeah. of food supplies stored and alternative heat sources and everything, because I think it's uncertain times that we're in. You know, and and practical uh, stuff like canon food and all that kind of type of stuff is uh, no load to carry now in them in in the times we're living in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one thing I would definitely say is, uh, uh well, I don't know about you guys because it's everything's it's it's weird because with the West, you know, you have these property taxes that just kill you. You have the costs, so they're doing everything they can to make living in homes hard. But it's kind of the way to live, man. Because when I was here during COVID, um, you know, I was just sort of out of the house with the kids. And I was like, nothing happened. Working a little bit from home, not doing anything. Good times, man. And uh, I'd recommend that everyone uh, goes out uh, to get the house. Obviously, I'm still on the electric grid. That makes life a lot easier. But I know a couple people in Russia who aren't, and they're pretty happy with it. And that style of living here is way easier to do in uh, than in say America because in America everything is brutally regulated everything everywhere. It's it's really it's really bad here as well. It's uh, the na the nanny state they call it. Everything's regulated and monitored. Um, yeah. Just wanted to ask you if some of our listeners would be interested. Maybe you might know and you might know. A lot of people say about Putin like, oh, you know, he's in. They're all in it together. The, all the leaders, like it's all orchestrated, and what's because what was happening in Ukraine is there wasn't like what the US did in Iraq and went in with the shock and all and absolutely leveled the place. It was like as you were trying, what you what you exposed and what you were saying is the truth is that Russia sees Ukraine as nearly part of its own territory, their brothers' nations, yeah. and that's why we didn't see wanton destruction. So well, there is wanton destruction, but not. You know, like he didn't level Ukraine. Like yeah. people couldn't understand how Zelensky was had Bono in the underground in in Kiev. You know this kind of thing, and they were thinking, "Oh, it's all orchestrated." But like, what's your thoughts? And and also on the World Economic Forum to say that, "Oh, Putin, he's involved with the World Economic Forum." What's your thoughts on on those? Well, I'll put it this way: if ever, if all the world leaders are in on it, okay, they're in on some sort of conspiracy. You could debate that. Then we've lost. Then life is over. Everything is hopeless. 
and it's time to, I don't know, uh, end your life or ride it out or something like that. Now, the question is, if they're all in on it, what is their objective? So we have, you know, Putin and Xi and uh, Biden and all this. All the elections are fake. There are no political movements. What's the point of this? Where is it going? So what is what is their ov- overall vision of where this cabal is taking the world? That's my question to you, you guys. Well, no, let's see. I, I don't think I. I think there is a lot of there was a lot of lockstep that went on in the at the beginning of the, the pandemic, and I think that's where people were getting it from. It's like you'd see them all working in tandem across the West and suppose most of the world. And I think it was it, the optics then of the way the war in Ukraine went because it was a completely different strategy to what we've seen in any other yeah. war that the West has been involved in. Like it's a di- completely different strategy what Russia went through. I know maybe they. Yeah. They made a misstep well, in the beginning, and they, they, they well, here's something about guys. that about the global pandemic. You know, when you're uh, let's just say you're a politician, right? And you're in Ireland. Okay, um, I believe you guys have counties as your smaller political division, if memory serves me correct. So let's just say you're the what would that be then? Mayor, governor, count. Who's who's the leader of a county in Ireland? Um, well, you'd have a county council. Um... And then the, the oh. TD, they'd be like 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 your senators there, or like your your it'd be a member of parliament or whatever to have the representative. Oh, okay. So so some kind of like MP kind of guy. Okay, so we'll say that. So, anyways, this person MP uh, will uh, say that they um, they are against the COVID measures, but what if they stand up and go and say uh, right publicly, COVID is a lie. We, uh, I'm going to fight against this. We're not going to do any vaccinations. What is going to happen? Their political career is over because the machine is going to turn on them and say, you're harming people. You're killing people. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. What do you actually do? You do Oscar Schindler style. You sit there and go, yeah, we are facing a real national problem. And I guess that we're going to have to, in a proper way, implement some measures in order to protect the people and you barely do any of it you sit there there's a new expression called quiet quitting where you basically just do nothing at your job till you get fired you quiet quit you oscar schindler it you do not try you are you know you're doing something evil and you are gonna make sure that you're grinding this bureaucratic process and not doing anything correctly that's what you actually are going to try to do and very very interestingly, Russia really never implemented that much COVID stuff, and they never made vaccines mandatory because you'll never catch Putin saying that vaccines are or will be uh, mandatory. And then all of a sudden, when the special military operation starts and the Russians break away from the world global system, all of a sudden, everything related to COVID vanishes. How interesting is that? What a coincidence. Exactly, and that's what uh, a lot of people that went straight from one, you know, one big operation to another with the Ukraine yeah. flags here in Ireland oh. and the whole lot. And if you, guys hear from certain, if you guys hear from certain questionable sources that don't like me very much at all, uh, that they vaccinate the soldiers, that is not true, and I have uh, debunked that on my channel, Tim Kirby, Russia Hard 
Corey, I'm speaking from the channel right now. You can join up and uh, maybe you should look for things like COVID, but that whole thing has been debunked completely. It was a lie. <laughs> uh, that's a uh, lie coming from Georgia. We'll call them. Yeah, no, that uh, debunked it. And um, it was, it's definitely fascinating that there's, it's, it's really is, um, it's a crazy situation. And what we touched on earlier with the, the Zionist, the greater Israel thing, I, I put that, uh, your video, your documentary, it's on the channel there. If anyone that's listening yeah. wants to watch it later on, it's worth it's really worth watching because a lot of, that's a lot of questions because we've seen all the the tattoos, the swastikas, the rings. The it, it you know, it's hilarious, right? It seems that the Western media cannot uh, take a shot of anything in Ukraine without accidentally picking up a swastika. Like literally, the oh, BBC every time they try and just take a picture, someone has a swastika yeah. or a tattoo or a ring or an earring or <laughs> every time. Well, yeah, well, it's a big, big part of it. And we also have to remember that for uh, some of your listeners who may be considering um, paganism, uh, this isn't an argument for Christianity, but it's an argument against paganism. Is generally, a lot of these neo-Nazi groups also are very into both paganism and Satanism at the same time. How that works when Satan comes from a monotheistic religion as a concept, um, how that works, but they don't care. But essentially, uh, they all want to, one of the problems that the Nazis also had um, overall mentally was they wanted to get away from a religion that tells them no to a religion that lets them do whatever the hell they want. And uh, that's where we get into these problems of, I can even say one thing that's maybe become one of the defining features of these guys is the fucking cannibalism. Like, and not even just like directly, sometimes even directly, but like uh, making food at restaurants, like named after the children of the Dawn Bass and like dead guy armed shaped cakes, this obsession with eating corpses uh, of the Russian troops, it's just too far, and it just keeps, they keep doing it. So you're, what you're also looking at is, uh, not only is there this uh, link to the, the past, there's this weird sort of um, potentially Zionist aspect to things, but there's also a pagan satanic uh, aspect uh, to these guys that also uh, can't be um, ignored, uh, which is ironic because in a lot of ways they uh, claim to be like that they're the you know superior uh aryan race even though we have to remember that according to hitler all slavs are subhuman so they apparently uh like i, I don't i don't know quite how they don't understand that, that they're actually in the um uh like uh, aryan caste system they are the untouchables along with me um but also who else would be the untouchables in that system africans and a lot of this like obsession with like magic rituals and either to pretending or actually possibly consuming the enemy is also very like african tribal warfare so it's very bizarre it's very it's 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 truly uh, what we're seeing is something that is truly bizarre truly evil how these guys can go out there that they're somehow part of this like master race but then they behave on the same level as like tribal people. And this isn't a dig on Africa. I know a ton of people from Africa. I said like tribal people who are, you know, I wasn't saying like my, my one, I wasn't saying like my one buddy who's a big, uh, big in the mineral business in Nigeria. I wasn't comparing him to, to him. That guy knows a million things more about business than I'll ever know. You know what I mean? Or uh, one guy I went to uh, from high school, uh, one of the black kids, uh, he he actually he, he broke me, man, because I was hoping I'd be the most famous person to ever come from my shitty high school. He worked and designed one of the the, the uh, lunar like or not lunar the um, the Mars uh, rover things. That bastard. 
So his name is on. He's like one of the big wigs at NASA now. Son of a bitch. So this wasn't a this wasn't a, a dig on black people. It was a dig on tribal voodoo bizarro religion. And and just on that because it is the thing is, and it's a lot of people on this that they like the history and what went on, like and this, like to say go back to the oligarchs there, that the Zionist oligarchs, like they're the same race. They come from that region, the same as maybe these Banderites. Like they're the same, they're of the same stock, isn't that? Uh-huh. What's going on, or is there different tribes within, like the, well, the, uh, it, it depends, it, dude? It depends on how you look at things. Like, uh, you know, uh, I had a college roommate who was Jewish, and he never was like, "Well, I'm a different type of person than you." You know, I think he, you know, uh, maybe officially in some sort of historical sense, he was Jewish, but I never really f- felt that he, he, basically, he was white American guy, and I was also white American guy. Okay. Like, it depends on how you see your own identity. And um, do people like Mr. Kolomoisky, the most famous Ukrainian oligarch to fund uh, neo-Nazi groups, does he see himself as uh, uh, this Ukrainian person who happens to be Jewish? Or does he see himself as being Jewish and these other people around him are just subhumans? I'm going to vote for the latter, but I could be wrong. We don't really know what's inside his head. um, But, uh, you know... Uh, it sort of depends. All of us really, in a lot of ways, um, have a choice of how we view ourselves um, ethnically. You know what I mean? Because I mentioned that I, I and my buddy saw my, ourselves as white American. Well, why don't we see ourselves as just American? You know, uh, that's one thing that's very frustrating about the United States is all this racial shit. Like, you know, because uh, if you think about it, uh, my ancestors came to America shortly, like kind of during and shortly after World War One. So my ancestors, <laughs> like... Uh, came way after the ancestors of all the black people I grew up with. So in a lot of ways, they're way more American than my ass is, but they're only African-American. We always have to, you know, for some reason, make some sort of verbal distinction, even though they've been there since, you know, before 1820, proven fact. So very frustrating. But uh, anyways, it's sort of a question of identity, and that would sort of go to the to, to the oligarchs themselves and whether they see themselves as being a Ukrainian uh, who has this uh, Jewish background, or where they see themselves as the part of this Jewish Zionist? Um, uh, Some them have like three passports or something. Was it on that podcast I was listening to? Where they, they weren't allowed to have two dual citizenship, but they went and got a third. That have got well, a lot of the rich guys here. Have, yeah. Well, of course, a lot of the rich guys, both in Russia and there. Uh, in fact, it was revealed online recently. Don't quote me on this because I'm not sure if it's quite true, but it probably is. Uh, in fact, I expected this to be worse. That of the top 100 wealthiest Russians, 40 have dual citizenship or more. Okay, I actually thought it'd be closer to like 80, to be honest. Uh, so that's actually probably a good trend uh, because they're trying to make it so that way, basically, if you have dual citizenship, especially in the government, you can't do anything. You can't be governor, can't be president. I think you can't be in the Duma anymore. You can't do anything. Uh, so that's uh, that's a good good uh, step in the right direction, but uh, yeah, a lot of the oligarchs of the entire former Soviet Union all immediately have you know American British Israeli citizenship, maybe uh, Monaco Cyprus, but I would say the big you know triad is of course USA England Israel. Those are like the, the super triad with uh, like I said then Monaco and Cyprus being occasional or something because uh, i believe you can just throw money at cyprus and get citizenship 
I think it's like $5 million or something. And if you're oligarch rich, you could afford $5 million as a plan B. Uh, the weather in Cyprus is mostly lovely. Um, I've been there. It's very dry. It's nice. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, so um, I suppose we'll just take a few questions then off people, if you don't mind, Tim. Yeah, how about uh, we take a, a few a few questions, but I think my voice will blow out in 30 minutes. I only got about 90 minutes of talking in me, so. <laughs> all right. It's all good. We mightn't move up that much time. Um, Patricia, do you have a question there? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, Gavin, I've just two cheeky questions to ask uh, Tim there, if he doesn't mind. Um, the first the first question is kind of one as a, as a mother and as something that kind of is really kind of bugging me as far as uh, the the Ukraine uh, conflict over there. I see on several occasions there has been exchange of POWs and the, the Russian government are handing over uh, Aslov uh, prisoners and they're in, they seem to be very happy. They're medically looked after, they're well fed, you know, they seem to be in great shape. And then the return prisoners, the Russian prisoners of war are returning, they're mutilated, they're banged up, they're absolutely in a heap. And I'm sure the families of those Russian soldiers must be baying for blood and it must really irk them to see um, how the the POW has been returned or in such good health and and how uh, their government is so restrained. Okay, let me how handle this first. Let me handle this first topic because uh, unfortunately, I don't have enough RAM uh, in the system here to remember a second question. Okay, so about this topic. Now, going back, one thing that people have accused Russia of is that, like, Russia for this war was going to need some kind of like false flag event to like do something or up the or like up the uh, ante and, and, and like start this war or. Uh, go to another level, and that is the dumbest reasoning from the West ever, because Russians have seen this kind of stuff and this kind of torture and murder for eight years. If you go back again to 2014, you have the burning alive of uh, pro-Russian pro-protesters in Odessa, and the, uh, I can never remember the city, uh, where she's referred to the Madonna of some city, where it's a mother, she's dead with her legs blown off, holding her dead baby. That was enough. Uh, that was enough of that uh, to motivate the Russian public uh, to support military action. So that's been happening for a long time. Now about these guys, you have to remember that, again, why do the Ukrainians do this? What is their logic? Let's just say that uh, we are become much more brutal in terms of people. We go back in time to South Africa. South Africa, like way back when, you know, like, uh, I don't know, let's 1950s or something. So we're part of this uh, Boer minority that's like 15% of the population, and 85% of the population is not us. And we are faced with a challenge. What do we do? We have the power, but we're a very small minority. What are our options? Well, their, their option was some kind of apartheid where it's kind of like we're divided, but we're in the same country, whatever. Well, one option could be, well, for 15% now, let's make it so that the other 85% starts to dwindle so their numbers dwindle so our percent gets bigger and bigger because you know what i mean if you have uh, 100 people and 15 are of one type 85 are of another uh, you know you kill off 40 of the people in the 85 group all of a sudden things look a lot closer don't they 
And that's essentially, in a lot of ways, what they're doing because the the actual like Ukrainian Ukrainian like the uh, the uh, Ukrop um, kind of Banderites, uh, they do not even see the people there. They don't see them as their countrymen. They don't see them as human. They're just rats to be exterminated. So they see absolutely no problem in torturing them, much in the way that I eat meat every day, or much like in our fantasy scenario about South Africa, how I'm sure there were some voices within the Boers who were like, you know what, let's just kill them. <laughs> so that's literally what it's what they're doing. And they also want to try to, of course, uh, terrify the Russians and this, that, and the other. Now, about why Russia doesn't do the same thing, uh, because we actually, uh, well, certain important people believe in God. But uh, another thing with that is that Russia has certain policies that have gone on for the centuries. And the number one policy that Russia adapts that I've actually had to use in my own personal life is, if you're Russian, you immediately accept surrender. There is no toying with your meat. There is no punishment. As soon as capitulation happens, you accept it instantly. Uh, this, for probably the very first time, happened with Ivan the Fourth, uh, where there's a lot of hype about Ivan the Fourth being Ivan the Terrible and all this stuff. But with when he went to fight the Tatars in Razan, he had the choice of he defeated them, and what did he do? He accepted them into the fold. You guys are going to learn to speak Russian. You're going to pay taxes. All's forgotten. And from that point, uh, that has been Russian policy. And you can even see that during World War II, how the Russians didn't exterminate the Germans. Uh, they just sort of Sovietized them, uh, communistized them. But they didn't really do much to them. The soldiers that were stuck in Russia had to do forced labor for five years. And then they were allowed to stay. They were allowed to stay if they wanted. A lot of them got married to local women, and they built lives here, which is unbelievable. So that's also part of the policy, whereas in Russia, uh, Russian Russians, because remember, uh, during the Russian Revolution, there were a lot of non-Russian people involved in that. So if you sort of exclude the Russian Revolution, uh, Russia has a very strict, we don't do that. We don't use torture. That's not the way we do things. Uh, that's not part of the uh, plan. It violates orthodoxy. Uh, of course, orthodoxy allows for a lot of things that someone might consider brutal, as in war. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but, yeah. Uh, your second question? Yeah, my second my second question, Tim, is um, how how is uh, Putin's position there? Is it, is, it, is it safe, or is there any other political parties rising to the fore that are challenging him? And what does the man on the street think of Putin at the moment? Okay, well, that's easy. There have been two moments where Putin took a very drastic drop in his popularity ratings. The first one was during these uh, pension reforms, as Americans we call it social security reforms. Uh, I think in Ireland you guys also use the term pension, but uh, who knows, that's not super important. But basically your old age money, uh, that they raised the age by like five years. They didn't raise the amount that anyone's getting. And his popularity uh, rating uh, dropped about 10 points. And when this whole stuff in Ukraine started and it became sort of visible that Russians are being murdered and the Kremlin can't do anything about it, his popularity went down a lot. And when this started, the special military operation, to be honest, it was probably one of the few wars in history that the overwhelming majority of the public asked for because they wanted something to get done. And, well, that's that's it. So Putin is extremely popular. He is not a cult of personality, though. He's not like a Stalin type. He's not like some sort of uh, that kind. In fact, um, uh, Putin doesn't like 
write books or anything. There is no like little red or little green book. The little green book by Gaddafi, the little red book by Mao. He doesn't have his own little book. Uh, in fact, he is anti-ideological in a way. Uh, he's known for his pragmatism. Uh, and pragmatism generally clashes with ideology. Um, so, yeah, but I would say he's ex- he's extremely popular, and the overwhelming majority of the country is, 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 is on his side. It's just the problem is that people don't really understand, okay, why is this taking so long? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? There's a little bit of confusion from the public because Russia is shit at PR. Russia does PR like shit. It also explains to its population uh, in terrible terms how things are. So, I mean, are things perfect? Does every last person in the country love him? No. But does the overwhelming majority love him? Does he have insane popularity ratings that no American president in our lifetimes has ever even come close to? Legit popularity ratings. He's got them. And that's the key to the future. If you want to live in an independent country uh, in this multipolar world, you have to be insanely popular. You have to be Maduro in Venezuela, who was able to, when they were threatening you know, to do like some kind of Maidan revolution there and support, oh my God, what was his name? The other guy. Oh no. Oh, I can't remember his name. The, the guy that uh, Washington said was the actual president of Venezuela. Maduro got 60,000 people to put on red t-shirts and walk in the streets and knock the other side out. Okay. He's popular enough where he can tell people, especially Venezuelan hillbillies, guys, you may not have a gun. You may not even have a knife. But come out there with your fists and defend me. We're go- we're doing this thing. And sixty thousand people showed up. Forty thousand neo Nazis took over Kiev. So even more than that. That's where you need someone like Viktor Orban, who for a long time kind of played it cool with the EU, and is now like, no, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. You want to know why he can do whatever the hell he wants? Because they can't color revolution him. He's too damn popular. And that's why, if you want to have a country that po- that pursues an independent sort of path, the national leader guy has to be that Putin or Maduro or uh, Orban. And trust me, Maduro has some flaws. There are some problems in Venezuela that need to be resolved, and I wish he was fixing them, but he's not. But c'est la vie. Um, you need to have a strong national leader that people believe in, and they can't color revolution you, and you can try to pursue uh, an independent course of action, even under tough circumstances and that's why this especially this whole uh one of our democratic ideas of well let's just have the president change every four years because that makes the system fairer or not bad uh it kind of just makes the system weaker (laughs) so uh going forward i think we need more of these uh populist uh long-term uh leaders uh, in order to actually uh, get stuff done uh putin uh being one of these types so uh yeah did that answer your question or did i just go off on a side tangent excuse me no that's uh, uh, tim tim you get 10 out of 10 for for that for that question because that's perfect thank you so much and forgive the noise i'm uh, drinking i recently hurt my throat so i'm trying to drink a lot while we're talking so i don't re-damage it um anyone else have any questions there folks Wow, there's a lot of people listening and no one has a question. No! Oh, wait, I see someone. Melissa. <laughs> Talk to Melissa. El Macarachi there first. Then it. Oh, good. all right. Got someone else too. Good. How are you doing, Tim? Uh, Hi there. Just a quick question for you. Or, well, maybe you can give some advice. Uh-huh. So we have nationalists, well, quote-unquote nationalists in this country who look at the Yukon Nazi nationalists and Bandera, 
And they would say all the stories we hear about them is just Russian propaganda. They're just defending Ukraine from invaders. And, you know, mm. murder, rape and torture, that's just part of war. So would you like oh. to address those people? Um, well, uh, war is something that uh, sort of, uh, boy, oh boy, this is going to be a, this is going to be a big one. Uh, war is something that's inherent to human beings. Um, here, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that are inherent to human beings. Okay. And there's a certain way we do things. Uh, remember how did our ancestors, uh, eat 5,000 years ago? Uh, you know, whatever they had, put it in their hand, shove it in their mouth. And now we have this whole fancy fork, knife, and spoon, or chopsticks, depending. These very fancy uh, ways to take something very uh, visceral and primitive and sort of uh, bring it to a kind of um, respectability. Uh, obviously, um, <laughs> you know, our ancient, ancient ancestors that were uh, vastly less human, uh, they kind of uh, did their business wherever they needed to, right? And now we have this wonderful thing called the the toilet, and you go in this little room and you close the door, and it, uh, all the bad stuff magically vanishes, and you can wash your hands with soap. It's amazing. Uh, again, and also human beings are uh, sexual desires are pretty visceral as well, and we also kind of uh, have found uh, systems to make that uh, more uh, respectable too. And I think that that goes to everything because that argument then is sort of like. Well, because I guess it doesn't really matter. Why not just shit on the floor? Or why not just eat like a dog? We, if we're going to be proud of us, if you're going to be proud of being Irish, then you have to have standards. What does it mean? This is a question you guys have to answer. I can't do it for you. But what does it mean to be Russian? It meant that when, uh, for example, that when Stalin's, uh, one of his sons, this is a more of a legend, I don't know how true it is, but the legend is what matters. When son, one of Stalin's uh, actual sons or relatives was captured by the Nazis, the Nazis assumed that he'd give them anything to get his kid back, and he would just said, no, treat him like anyone else. Gotta be better than your enemy. Um, you know, or stuff like... Uh, the other like weird legends uh, about Stalin about how uh, his will included had five things in it. One of them was an, a used pair of boots, like this kind of stuff where you have to have these these legend, this idea of who you are, and you have to have uh, standards of we don't do this, we're better. And it's sort of like, well, if you could just do anything, what like what are you defending? What Ireland are you actually defending? You know what I mean? Because are they if they're defending especially a Catholic Ireland? Well, that Catholicism comes with a certain set of rules. So that also means that they're defending, uh, you know, uh, only sex and marriage, sex between a man and a woman, no divorce, kind of understand, uh, that there's this guy called the Pope and he is infallible. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, you know, mixed up with that. Maybe they're pagans or something. Because again, remember when you're pagan, you can just make up anything because all the information about how paganism actually worked was lost. So that's why people love it because you can just make up whatever you want. But, I mean, that's it. Sort of, it's like, ask him, why don't you just shit on the floor? Like, what, and, what, and also, what Ireland are you defending? You know, if you're going to go then to, uh, uh, I don't know, well, first off, who are, I don't know, who, who are the, the enemies of Ireland? I guess you could say maybe migrants. Well, it's like, <laughs> one of the simple things you could do is just make life uncomfortable and people leave. But if you guys were to go on some sort of crusade to like slaughter everyone who isn't Irish, you then are going to fall into this all other weird thing of who's Irish, which is the same thing the Germans got into. And then they're going to have to come up with a system of determining who's Irish and who isn't. And unfortunately, it's not that simple. 
So if we go back to that rock group, Thin Lizzy uh, from uh, 70s, lead singer, real famous. They're from Ireland, I'm pretty sure. Half black, half white. So is he dead or not? Is he half Irish or is he half black? And then that's where the goofiness of eugenics comes in. If it's like, well, you know, if you're on your maternal side, if your grandfather was a Hindu, then that means you have to die. And it just, it just doesn't make sense. If they really want to fight for a more uh, nationalist Ireland, they need to make sure that everyone gets on the, the page of like, okay, these are our Irish beliefs. This is especially maybe our Irish religion. This is our Irish way of uh, doing things. And if you don't like it, get the fuck out. Or we'll make life miserable for you. That's civil. That's aggressive. That is, I guess you could say nationalist. But it's not murderous. And it's not, <laughs> you know, uh, making you, uh, bringing Ireland down. You see what I mean? I think I was talking about the, <laughs> the very fringe element. Now, I don't know too many people who... I have bloodlust now, but uh, well, of course, I, dude, think... I, I was I was referring to the to, to the more fringe element, but all this nationalist thinking they they there's okay there's certain like you know schools of thought about how people sort of see the world and all these nationalists they all sort of do the same things, man. You just change Ireland to France or like Ethiopia or China or wherever, and their mindset and their flaws are exactly the same. You just change the wording around. Like we even did that earlier in this interview talking about how the Zionists behave exactly like the uh, uh, the Nazis of World War II. They're extremely, extremely in line with their philosophy because it's the same type of philosophy. You just change the names of stuff. I agree 100%. Um, take one more question there. Uh, wild, wild superfoods. Ooh, superfoods. Mmm, delicious. Hello? I think he's gone, Gav. Oh, no. Well, I saw someone with their hand up down there. I'm a curious bloke. So I see there's one blue icon. I think that Melissa girl got angry. She's not here anymore. She was, she was morally hurt by you not selecting her. <laughs> so. question there William yeah I didn't hear the whole the whole interview there Tim um, uh -huh. very interesting you know the perspective from the other side as the saying goes you know and I would agree with a lot of what Putin's doing he's defending his his people who are living in Ukraine you know what I mean he's and, and they've been crying out in the whole eight years from 2014, you know. But I think we need to, we need to be turning saying, you know, putting all politics aside, putting all religion, if you want to call it that, aside, and just be looking at each other as individual human beings, you know, all equal, all, you know, made in the image of God, your creator. Do you know what I mean, Tim? And I'm mm. just be, have human compassion for each other. Now there is them people who are trying to force their ideology. They're trying to, you know, imply their views of what they think the world should be. You know, I, 
New World Order, whatever you want to call it, you know what I mean? They they are being controlled by the enemy of humanity itself. You know what I mean? And this yeah. is why there is the wars in the world, you know, and has been going on for, for centuries and centuries, you know. So we need to get back to basics and we need to put all this stuff to the side. You know, there's people here have good moral views, you know, even in politics, you know, and they need to get rid of this them and us thing, you know, and bring people in who are going to unite the people together and, and, and have the, the people looking out for each other's interests at heart on a daily basis. You know, if you see a need, go and, you know, provide for it, you know, in whatever way you can. Like, just having basic humanity and looking after each other, you know, and having good morals. Yeah. You know, I know Jim, Putin, Putin's 100%. Okay. No, I, I actually, actually got it. I, I think, uh, guys, I can, I can respond right now to William. He made some points that, uh, William, please forgive me that I'm going to kind of pick apart what you said. This isn't to be a jerk. This isn't to, because I'll put it this way. What you said touched my heart, but the problem is, is that there's a, there's some problems. Okay. First off. You said, uh, and uh, also, if you thought I was writing like uh, a message to my buddies, uh, if you heard the keyboard clicking, uh, that's because I was taking some notes on what he said. Now, one thing he said was get rid of us versus them. Unfortunately, this goes back to what I mentioned about tribalism. We can't. Human beings are not capable of getting rid of us versus them. We always have the people who speak our language versus those who don't. People who look like us versus people who don't. People who behave different from us or behave similar to us. Unfortunately, the tribalist uh, mindset, uh, tr the tribal mindset of human beings is unconquerable. We will always be divided into various different groups. Uh, that's what a lot of this whole thing about transgenderism is about. It's about uh, trying to eliminate uh, this uh, dividing qualifying factor of gender. That to be truly liberal, you have to be free from every form of, of uh, collective identity, including your gender. Well, no. So uh, apparently, you know, you might sound good to get rid of us versus them, but unfortunately that is in direct conflict with human nature. And it would be kind of like me saying, oh God, wouldn't it be great if there was no sex? You know, if if just we were sort of just rid of it, because, you know, it causes a lot of problems. It's, it's, it's so frustrating. What if people just sort of multiplied on the street? Well, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> that's not to be. So that was point number one. Point number two is to view each other as human, and uh, this also ties into tribalism, where unfortunately we cannot. It's kind of like this question of, it's like, uh, you know, do black lives matter? Do all lives matter? Human beings literally cannot have all lives matter. There's someone suffering right now because of some hurricane or some drought or some problem somewhere in the world. All lives can't matter to us. Our, our brains are not that uh, grand. We are not godlike beings. We simply cannot like, have a global compassion, a global universal compassion for everyone. Where our minds are just too busy, we're too focused on ourselves, and there are too many things that we can that we just can't possibly uh, concentrate on them. Uh, furthermore, uh, again, going back to tribalism, everything that's different from us is always going to be kind of a threat, and that's when our compassion vanishes. Uh, that's also part of human nature another one is why are there wars because we're being fought into them uh again i think war is a bit of a human nature but we can definitely much like a lot of other things problems in life there could either be more murder or less murder there could be more theft or less theft uh, getting rid of the concept of theft is not going to go away 
Yes, it's getting rid of the concept of war, but we can certainly have less wars. And that's why I'm an advocate for the multipolar world theory, because I believe that that theory will provide less war. It won't eliminate war, but it'll definitely keep war to uh, hopefully a nice minimum, and uh, everyone will be happy. So I'm sorry, William, I don't mean to be a dick or an ass. That's not, not the objective here. But what you said, again, it's things that are really packed with a lot of uh, powerful emotions, but they don't meet up with political realities. Maybe one more question. I see a certain person has their hand raised here. Oh, one more. Hello. 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 How are you? Hello. Thank you very much, Les. Hi, Tim. Sorry, it's fantastic um, stream, and thank you for sharing. Uh, I do what I do every day, but thank you. I'm just joined your channel, so looking forward to hearing some of those interviews you have done. Um, just to ask you, um, Ursula, Ursula over there in the EU that's calling us all in has recently, just in the last two weeks, um, basically called in EU um, states for military camps in their own countries. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. one of our own ministers has announced only a week ago that Ireland will now um have by mid November um Ukraine military camps here in Ireland. So at the moment they're buying up large manors, lots of land, convents with lots of land, and I do believe these will be turned into these military Ukraine military camps they're calling them. But like, you know, why should we have Ukraine military camps here? We oh. were told it all um women and children um, refugees, which we know now they're not. There's actually over 40% all single fighting age men. So we are literally, when you were saying there that there's quite a lot of Georgians um, fighting in Ukraine at the moment, like we are being literally flooded with international migrants from Georgia and lots of different areas here. And what would your thoughts be on it? I believe that, you know, Ireland obviously wants to join NATO, but my concern and just to get your maybe feedback on it, is that they're going to train these people here in our country, Georgians and a lot of criminals in here, and um, that they're going to fight, you know, they're going to use them against us, our own people, at some stage. And, you know, because I don't think they'll be sending them all back over. Why are they sending them over to Ireland to train? When the, uh, okay, well, and uh, first off, thank Thank you very much for actually for, for listening to me. Sometimes I always feel like I say a lot, but people don't listen. For listening to me, what I mentioned about Georgia, because in a lot of ways, uh, these camps are probably going to be filled with everyone from the former Soviet Union with a gripe against Russia, no matter where they are. Because as we've seen, all the majority of Chechens are very happy being a part of Russia. In fact, many of them have given their lives to do so. But there's that percent who are not. And that would apply to Georgians. Uh, that could apply to people from Armenia as well. Maybe some Azerbaijanis. Uh, definitely people from the Baltic states, that's for sure. There's probably some Moldovan extremists who absolutely hate Russia. Uh, there's Well, that's the president. Well, she's not extremist, but she certainly hates Russia. So anyways, uh, it's probably going to be a, a, a conglomerate or a, a, a broad contingent of everyone from the former Soviet Union with a gripe against Russia who ironically will speak Russian with each other. That's the, that's the real irony of the song. But anyways, what is their uh, objective? Now, uh, one of these theories is more my own. One of them is not. The one that is not, not my own is that, yes, there's a sort of uh, thing that um, a belief among certain 
uh, pro-Russian uh, analysts that essentially these camps are being are going to be used as some sort of like uh, Operation Gladio 2.0, where uh, they're going to take these very extreme people, they're going to put them all over Europe, and they're going to be able to sort of do do with them what they want. And in a lot of ways, uh, they're uh, this newfound, absolutely brutal, uh, sadistic mentality can be turned up on your populations at any time. Okay, these people can be turned against you. Uh, at any moment, uh, because of their bizarro ideology. Um, but uh, also, probably one of the simplest things is they might be preparing for essentially an eternal war against Russia. Another sort of like very long Cold War where they're going to be able to sort of have camps to build fighters to sort of fight Russia over a very long term. You know what I mean? Where the if if the FSB has been having to deal with like terrorist plots and foiling them that have been happening in uh, 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 Russia recently, then uh, who knows? They might have uh, plenty of plots being lined up for the next ten years. You see what I mean? So yeah, that's that's kind of where I think. I think it's more that they're going to throw this at uh, Russia over the long term. But could they be used against you guys? Maybe. It's not. It's not outside the realm of possibility. That's for darn sure. Thanks, Tim. That, um, you're a wealth of information, and uh, you're um, really generous with your time and everything. So, thanks a million for coming on. And uh, well, hey, if you could hook me up, if you were recording this, uh, send me the recording. If you weren't recording this, then sad face. <laughs> well, we will indeed. We'll definitely send it. Send it on. To you. All right. Much appreciated. No, but thanks for coming on. My pleasure. And Take care, everyone. Back. Oh, and sure. Come sure. back, Tim. Just, uh, just give me a, 